But today we're kicking off part five, and this is the end of our series, The Best Year Yet. So go ahead and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes. I am convinced that every time I say it, more of you will grab out your Bible and something to take some notes. All right, we're going we're gonna to work that into our psyche. We're going to take some notes today because we started this series with the thought that this would be the best year of your life if it was the best year of your life spiritually. That this could be the best year of your life yet if it was the best year spiritually. We paired this thought with the 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year. We said we're going to dedicate the beginning of this year to God. We're going to get the best possible footing we can to build some spiritual momentum as we go into 2022 to see God move in our lives and in our family's lives, in the life of our church, in our relationships. If we want to see God move, we're going to dedicate this year to him. And so then we launched into this series, how we would have the best year yet. So week one, we talked about David, how David in one of the worst moments of his life, everything taken from him, everything gone, even his friends turning against him, that God called David to pursue and to retake what was lost. And so we said in this year, we're going to pursue some things the devil tried to take from us. And then in week two, we switched to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How they were stand-up guys in a bow-down culture. King Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm making a new religion. Got a 90-foot statue. It's great. Everybody's going to bow or you'll burn. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to make a decision. They had to choose whether they were going to stand or whether they were going to bow. And they chose to stand. And they saw revival come to Babylon. And so we said this year as a church, we're going to have to take our stand. We're going to have to stand for what is right, stand for what God's word says. We're going to have to take our stand for the next generation. We're going to take our stand for what we believe God has called us to do. Take our stand for those who are marginalized by culture, those maybe who don't have a voice. We're going to have to speak out and take our stand as a church this year. And so we studied that in week two. And now conventional wisdom in the world would tell you and would have told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we need to bow now so we can stand later. That we're supposed to be around so we can spread the gospel and we can do. But we have decided that if we bow now, there'll be no standing later. That we will compromise our values, we'll compromise our stand. And that any stand we take later will be compromised by the bowing we would do today. And so we're going to take a stand because it's only by taking a stand that we win the next generation. It's only by taking a stand that we actually have a witness to show to others. And so we're going to do that this year. And we talked about that in week number two. Now, when they chose to take their stand... When these three guys did, there were some consequences, right? They got thrown into the fiery furnace. And so week three, we talked about how their response to King Nebuchadnezzar got them thrown in the fire. When they took their stand, they got into trouble. And it brought them in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. And I wanted to kind of recap their response to him. Because this was week number three. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And so in week three, we talked about, you want to have the best year yet. Not only do we have to learn how to stand when everyone else is bowing, but we also have to have this faith. This faith that we know our God is able, we know he's strong enough, and we know that our God is willing. So not only is God strong enough to rescue us, but he also wants to do so. You can throw us in the furnace, O king. It doesn't matter because Jesus is waiting in the midst of the fire to join us in the midst of our persecution. And so we have to have that faith. God is able, but also that God is willing. That he's not only, I think it's sometimes I told you, it's a little bit easier of a sell that God is able. God is all powerful. We know God can, but sometimes we have to tell ourselves again and again that he is willing. That God would be able to do it for us. And he does it for everyone else. I think it's easier for us to believe that. But we have to have a faith that says he's both able and willing. 
And now these guys knew that their God was able and willing because they had a relationship with him. And so we talked about that, that they had a knowledge of who God was because they had walked with God through other tribulation. They had walked with God through other times that they needed faith to believe in him. And so we have to have that faith that the Bible in Romans says the gift of God is eternal life. And then John 17 says that this is eternal life, that they would know you. That word know is the word genosco. It means to know or to experience means to come to a knowledge of. And so we studied that, that not only do we have to have a knowledge of God, we need to have an experience with the presence and the power of God. You want to stand when the fires of life are coming against you. You want to stand in the midst of persecution. You want to have a faith that says God is willing and God is able. You have to know who God is. You have to have an experience with him. God never intended to just be studied. He always intended to also be experienced. That you would experience the power of God in your life encounter the power of God. That's what these guys had. And then in week four, we talked about relationships. Pastor Kirby brought an incredible message last week about how our relationships shape us and then how we are supposed to not fight with each other, but fight with each other. Come on, if that confuses you, go listen to last week's message, all right? On the podcast or on the app, whatever it is you listen on. But honestly, if you want to grow in your relationships, go listen to that message. Because if talking about how we fight alongside of each other, that our fight is not with flesh and blood. Your fight is not with your spouse. Come on, amen, everybody. Your fight is not with your kids. We're supposed to fight alongside of each other, taking the darkness back with God's wonderful light. We're supposed to be able to fight this battle against spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places. That's what we're called to fight. So we talked about that last week. Today, as we finish the series, I want to go one more time to Daniel chapter 3. Now, verse 18, this is the end of the reply that they give to King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember week two, week three, we talked about, they said, we don't need to answer you, O king, because we know that our God is willing and we know that our God is able. We know that our God is able to do what we ask him to do. And we know that he's willing to do it and willing to save us. And so this is the end of the dialogue now with Nebuchadnezzar. But even if he does not, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They had this faith. They had this conviction that surpassed everything in life. They said, I know that our God is there, and I know that he's able. I know that he's willing. If you throw us in the fire, O king, it's cool, because God is with us, and he's able to rescue us from it. And he will rescue us from it. But just in case you were wondering, just in case you wondered, O great king who set up this silly statue in the fields, just in case you were wondering where we stand, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. We know that he's able, we know that he's willing, but even if he doesn't, just in case, we have an even if he does not kind of faith. O king, if you were just wondering where we stand, we have an even if he does not kind of faith. Even if my expectations of God fail, I know that my God never fails. And so I have an even if he does not kind of faith. That I know that my God is with me and I'm going to do what he has called me to do, even if he doesn't rescue me from the fire. Even if he doesn't rescue me, I'm going to stand no matter what it costs me. I'm going to stand no matter what you do to me. I'm going to stand, O king. I'm going to stand, O culture. I'm going to speak out even if he does not rescue me from the fire because I know who my God is. I know who my God is. And whether or not I understand, I'm going to trust. Whether or not I understand, I'm going to obey. Because I have not been called to understand everything. I've been called to obedience and there is a difference. I've been called to obey in the midst. So I wonder if we could wrestle for just a minute 
With the question I asked you back in week two, and I told you we would come back to it at the end of this series. If we would wrestle with this question, what would it take for you to bow? What would it cost you in order to bow? Now, for some of us, maybe not all that much, because I told you in week two, God help us if real persecution were to come to the church. And there's a survey that was done years ago. I've referenced it before that 74 percent of Americans said that they had some kind of faith in their life. But then only 7% said that that faith actually changed the way that they live. It actually affected any of their actual day-to-day decisions. That's a devastating poll. That we would have that. It said, I'm not throwing stones, everybody, all right? This is not, I'm not pointing fingers. This is something I'm wrestling with in my own personal walk with Christ. Where is the even if he does not kind of faith? Where is the even if he does not kind of trust and obedience in our Christian walk? Because it's the even if he does not kind of faith that wins the next generation. It's the even if he does not kind of faith that stands in the midst of fire and persecution and says, I know who my God is. That's the kind of faith that sees revival come. Because you can't have a compromising kind of wishy-washy if he does or if he doesn't kind of faith and see revival. You can't have it your own way, all right? This ain't Burger King, everybody. Even if he does not kind of faith is what we need if we want to see revival come. Because we can say we want revival, but we have to back it up that even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't snatch us out of the fire, even if he doesn't, even if my expectations of God fails, I know my God doesn't fail. And that's the difference in the faith we need to have. So I want to take for just a minute and I don't want to go to Hebrews chapter 11. This one we're going to kind of camp out today. Hebrews chapter 11, because we need to talk about what faith looks like. Now, if you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, this is the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's an incredible, amazing chapter. It kind of pulls together all of these amazing stories of these generals of the faith. And so it celebrates Moses and Abraham and Noah and David and Rahab and all these amazing people. And it kind of brings it to a conclusion at verse 33. He sort of kind of gets going in the dialogue around verse 33. It kind of flows to that ultimate point. And it starts to list some of these things. We're going to pick it up. It says, these people, by faith, overthrew kingdoms. And they ruled with justice. They received what God had promised to them. They shut the mouths of lions. This is an incredible story. All, right? all of us would say, yeah, I want to be a part of this kind of faith. It's an amazing story. We can all say amen to this. To quench the flames of fire, escape death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. All of us can say amen. Come on, somebody. Our weakness, they became strong in battle, put the whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again, getting their loved ones back from the dead. They raised the dead. And all of us would say, this is incredible. I want to be a part of this life of faith. Here's the problem, everybody. In verse 35, for some reason, it takes a turn for the worse. Like, I like verse 33, and I love verse 34. Verse 35 is almost like a slap in the face. It's like, okay, I don't know, you know, I think you tricked me, and I think some of you feel that way today. We would say amen to verse 33. We'd say hallelujah to verse 34. Verse 35 feels like I got the rug pulled out from under me. Like, maybe, I don't know. Verse 35, it says, but some of them were tortured. Refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. Watch this. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, made fun of, their backs cut open with whips, others chained in prison. Some were killed by stoning. Some were sawed in half, everybody. Literally sawed, and others were killed with the sword. Now, I can promise you, if today I said every head bowed and every eye closed, Whoever would like to be sawed in half for the sake of the gospel today, if you just would like to have a sword in your chest 
and you'd like to go from day with the very life being taken from you, if that's you, just slip up your hand right now. If that's just what it would be a dismal altar call, everybody. All right, that'd be that'd be about the worst. But that's what it says. And some were literally sawed in half. There's not a lot of people signing up like, hey, I love Hebrews 11. I like 33 and 34, but the good part is right around 36 or 37. Not, not too many people saying that. That's what I want. That's what I would like in my life today. Oh, Lord, just send that to me. I just I like that kind of faith. Sign me up, baby. That's my thing. And then out of nowhere, it kind of throws this in someone about wearing skins of sheep and goats. Like, why is that so bad? Right. Like, I don't understand. Like, maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't understand why this is thrown. Like people are literally getting sawed in half. But wait, everybody, because some people have to wear sheepskin like some people. I don't, it's okay to laugh in church. You guys understand that, right? Like, it's okay. I don't care what you say. That's funny. There's some people, like, I wonder in that time period, like, some people are like, they chopped my toes off today, but it's okay. At least I'm not wearing goat. Like, at least I'm not. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, never mind. It says destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, the Bible says, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Whether we like it or not, the Bible concludes Hebrews 11 with this idea that this is faith. This is the life of faith. And then it says, listen, they didn't even get to see the promise of God in Jesus that we get to see. And they still live the life of faith. How much more us, everybody? That they didn't even get to see what was promised, that they still lived a life of faith. But the Bible concludes that this is what faith looks like. This is the life of faith. Sometimes you understand and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you overcome and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you see a victory and sometimes you see defeat, but you are not God. You're not going to figure everything out. You're not going to understand everything. And there's not some magic potion that you can do in order to understand it all. There's not some chant or prayer that you can do in order for everything to somehow magically work out. We're not called to understand it all, but we are called to obedience and we are called to a life of faith. That we are called to this life of faith. All of it is faith. All of it is following Jesus. And it's a whole lot worse, everybody. Can I just tell you, it's a whole lot worse than saying, I might lose some Facebook friends if I like that church post. Oh no, Aunt Kathy posted something harsh. Like, should I say something? I might get persecuted. I promise you the life of faith is a whole lot worse than anything we have come up with in our own minds. In Revelation chapter 3, the first part of Revelation, there are seven different churches that Jesus writes letters to. Seven churches that are experiencing things not only in their own time, but representative of problems in the end time church. And he writes these letters. One of them is called the church in Laodicea, and it's in chapter three of Revelation. It says in verse 14 in this verse, and it's picking up through the middle of the letter. It says in the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. Come on, somebody, somebody say, I know. Look at the person next to you. Say, I know your deeds. Come on. I know what you did last week. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. This is Jesus writing to the church. I wish you were either one or the other. I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I want you to look at this for a minute. We're going to study this letter because Laodicea is a city a whole lot like America. And you will hear this letter referenced so often because it represents our culture in so many different ways, especially in this time period. 
Laodicea had just rebuilt and they rebuilt strong in their city. They had a destruction from an earthquake and they rebuilt all of their things that they enjoyed and they did it without any outside help. They did it without anybody giving them any money. And so they had rebuilt and they felt strong and secure in who they were and how much they had. And they had social gatherings and they had plays and they had public things and they had all these entertainment options. And the church of Laodicea was up in all of it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with enjoying those types of things. What I am saying is the church in Laodicea looked exactly like the world in Laodicea. They looked exactly like the world in their city. And they had this water system that would come into the city that would bring water from an aqueduct from a hot spring miles away. And would bring pipe water into the city. The problem is when it arrived in the city, it started out hot. But when it arrived in the city, it came at this like weird temperature. Like I know some of you, you like room temperature water, right? I'm with you there. Everybody likes room temperature water after like working out or playing sports or whatever it is. You don't like freezing cold water because that gives you brain freeze, everybody. This was not room temperature water. This was like this tepid, lukewarm, like 90 degrees body temperature, like bleh. That's a scientific term, all right, everybody? That's just like you can imagine this is this is some kind of like nasty And like if you've ever, so just to kind of get this in context, how many coffee drinkers do we have in the house? Come on, how many coffee? There's a problem in this church, everybody. There's just something. And not like socially drinking coffee. Like you, coffee is a part of your life. Anybody want to admit? (laughs) There we go. Right? Like you drink something. You got to have like several coffee things going at all times. Like you have throughout the day, different types and cups and all this different stuff. I had a coworker one time on the night shift that I worked with. Uh, we worked from about 6 p.m. to 2 in the morning. And he, would, he was an admitted coffee addict. And so he had all multiple coffee things at all times throughout the shift, always making something, having something. And he had cups on the workbench and cups on the, be- the desk and by the phone and all this different stuff. And he would just have all those. Now, how many of you know you get some stuff going, going? The problem is around 11 or 12 o'clock at night, He would accidentally sometimes, usually once a night, he would grab the wrong cup. How many of you coffee drinkers, you understand that when you grab the wrong cup, like he made that coffee cup back at six o'clock and now it's midnight and he grabs the wrong and you take a swig of that and it's like, like, what did I just drink? Like what? I just made the biggest mistake of my life. That's what they're talking about. This temperature, this lukewarm, this nasty, this what is that? What is that nasty thing like that? It's, it's the most disgusting thing. Now, I used to read this verse and think that God was saying, I wish that you were all cold, like all in the world, or I wish that you were all hot, like all for Jesus. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is cold water is good. Like it has a, it has a refreshing cold water. Hot water is good. Like it's coffee and hot stuff is medicinal and it's good for that. But whatever this middle ground is, is passionless. It's milquetoast. It's worthless to the body of Christ. He's saying, whatever this is, I I don't even know what to do with this. He's saying, whatever this passion, this middle ground thing is, is unacceptable. I don't know what this is. It's this weird, like a lukewarm Christian is not a thing. You understand that, everybody? Like it's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. There is no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. Oxymoron, right? It's two things that just don't go together, like government efficiency. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And full disclosure, that sounds like I wrote a joke, but that's just a fact, everybody. All right, that's just... That's just the way it was. Instagram privacy policy. Like you understand, it's just, it's not a thing, everybody. It's just not, you get the idea, all right? No such thing as a lukewarm Christian. So the Lord says, you're lukewarm. And since you're neither hot or cold, you're passionless. I don't understand what this is. 
You look like the world, you act like the world, you talk like the world, you entertain yourself with the stuff the world entertains itself with. You raise your kids like the world, your morals look like the world. He's saying, I I don't know what this is, but it's not the church I'm returning for. I don't know what this is, but it's not the church that I gave my life for. The problem is that gets golf claps in church because we're all hurting right now. It gets golf claps because we're all thinking about what this means. And the Lord says, you make me want to puke. Like, I don't know what this middle ground passionless thing is, Church of Laodicea. I don't know what this thing is you think you're doing, but it makes me, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had like a stomach bug or like, remember back when like you, you had stomach bugs and you had things that it was just like just a normal part of getting sick. But back when we had those and you had a stomach bug or some digestive thing in your mouth, how many remember that like kind of like gurgling in your stomach as you went about your day? And like, how many remember, like you'd be out in public somewhere and all of a sudden you'd get like a sweat on your forehead and you think, oh no, like, especially if you're just coming up on you and you hadn't really realized and now you're out with people and you start to like kind of have this and you're like, whoo, and people around you like, you're, you're looking a little pale. Like you just, you're not feeling too good, are you? And you're just like, whoo. And I may remember that moment, that moment when like you kind of break out in a cold sweat and you kind of get that like that like shiver and you're thinking, oh, no. And how many of us, I I know I'm not the only one that would begin to say like we begin to tell ourselves this is not happening. Like this, I'm not getting sick. I'm not. I'm going to will my way to health, baby. I'm I'm not getting sick. This is not right now. I can. mm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to will my way back to health. I am not. But then I remember that moment when like saliva rushes to your mouth and you're like, this is happening. Some of you are feeling it right now. Some of you are right in this moment. You're feeling and you're looking around and you're thinking like, I am a grown adult. Like this is, I am at a distinguished point in my life. Like it is not acceptable to throw up in public, like on people and on things. Like this is not, this is not who I am. This I'm not, but you have that moment where you realize this is happening. It's about, and so you start looking for exit strategies, right? Everybody, you start thinking, how can I get where I need to be as fast as I possibly can? Like, how can I get out of this scenario? And you begin to think in your mind, like, I, I cannot do this in public. Like, I'm not, I'm not partying. I'm not supposed to be drunk. Like, I cannot throw up on people. I should be able to make it to the bathroom. I should be able to manage the facilities. Come on, somebody. You've been in that spot. And you begin to think, okay, how do I get out of this moment? Now, ladies, you don't have exactly the same problem as us. Because ladies, like, go to the bathroom and come back. And you're like, are you okay? They're like, hmm, I threw up. <laughs> and like, really? Like, I didn't hear a thing. How is that possible? Like, yeah, hmm. It's, mm. Guys, I don't know about you guys, but when I throw up, it is like, like, I am, the whole house knows when dad is sick, all right, everybody, like, there is no, like, the, everybody knows when I, and I'm, like, looking, like, I need that, like, I don't know what that, like, I, isn't that oil for my organs, like, I need, am I gonna die, like, I need that, it's like, Bleh. any other screamers when you throw up, anybody with me on that one, like, the whole house knows, like, dad is dying in the bathroom, don't go near like we're shouting, it's, it's just this, this moment. But before all of that goes down, there's that moment where you're like, I am not going to make it. I'm going to puke. That's how God feels about the church. That's what he says in Revelation chapter 3. I am not going to make it with you people. I don't understand what this is, but I'm about to run to the bathroom and puke up my guts because this is so gross. 
I don't know what this middle ground, passionless, whatever that you think is worshiping me. I don't think I don't understand why you think this is reverent to me. I don't understand why you think these passionless acts are what I'm looking for. But I am about to puke, about to spit you out of my mouth. And he says this to the church in Laodicea, which is a church not all that much unlike America. Here's my fear as a pastor. Matthew chapter 7. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that verse is news maybe to some of you. That's one of the most scary verse I can imagine in the Bible. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we drive out demons? In your name, Lord, didn't we perform miracles? We tithed, we gave, we were there. We did Christian stuff. We knew the lingo. And then he says, but I'll look at them. This is Jesus talking. I'll look at them plainly and tell them, I never knew you. That word ginosko is the same word we studied in week number two. To know, to experience to actually come to know the presence and the power of God. And Jesus said, I'll look at them, the ones who say, we did the stuff, we were there. We did everything we thought was asked of us. We completed all the check boxes. We were around. What? And he says, depart, I never knew you. Jesus said, I'll look at them and say, I never knew you. I know you knew the lingo. I know, I know you said you, you stood up, sat down, did what I asked you. you go, yeah, I know you did all of those things, but I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. You never experienced me. You never had a relationship with me. You never opened your heart so I could speak to you. you. Never changed anything that you were doing in your life to conform to what now I have called you into. Nothing ever changed. You never had a moment that you said, I came into the presence and the power of God and I am forever marked and changed by that experience that I have been a brand new creation and the life that I live is now for Christ. That I've died to the ways of the world. I've died to my old self that now I live for him. You said you never had that. Never experienced the presence. He said, I never knew you. You never had a moment where you said, I am a sinner in need of a savior, that I'm desperately in need of Jesus who went to the cross to pay for my sins. He's saying, I, you never had that. Depart from me. And this is my greatest fear as a pastor. One of the greatest fears I have is that I'll preach all the messages. We'll have all the great moments. We'll do whatever we need to do in the music and in the events and have all this great stuff as a church for you to show up in heaven and say, we were there. We saw it all happen. We, we gave, we tithed, we stood up, we sat down, we clapped when we were supposed to. Why aren't we getting in? Something I live with every day, this fear. And so my question for you this morning to wrestle with is one that only you can answer. And that is, have you been informed or have you been transformed? I can't answer it for you. No one around you can answer this question. Have you been informed or have you been transformed? Have you been transformed? Been changed? Do you know a lot about God? Are you just a part of this because it's the thing to do? Is it just the church is a pretty good place to go when you need help, but then in other seasons of life, we just kind of drift away? Because 2 Corinthians says this in chapter 5. It says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same. When someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person. They're not the same anymore. And so I would ask you again, have you been informed or have you been transformed? Have you become a new person? 
Have you had that moment where you stepped into the presence and the power of God, admitted that you were a sinner in need of a Savior, and had God radically transform your life? Or have you just been informed, know a lot about God, but never have an experience with His power? Never have a salvation moment in His life? Because have you had this moment where a brand new life begins, that you're not the same anymore? It says a new life begins, that you have that moment in encounter with him. Because listen to me, Jesus didn't give his life on the cross to improve your plans for your life. He, he didn't give his life on the cross so that we could just continue in our own ambitions and our own dreams and our own plans. So that somehow he would just make what we want to happen a little bit better. He gave his life on the cross so that we would die to our ambitions and die to our dreams and die to our plans for our life. That we would say that I have been saved from darkness into his wonderful life and that he has forgiven my sins, that he has paid the price on the cross. And now every breath that I breathe, I'm going to tell of the goodness of my God. That every breath I have, every breath that I have is because it's a gift to me, a gift that he's given me to testify of the grace of Jesus Christ. Have you had that, Jesus said? Have you had that, that I'm no longer going my own way, that I'm dying to my dreams and my ambitions and the plans I have? Listen to me, everybody. Jesus isn't the grease that makes your plans work. He's not just you add him to your life and it makes everything just a little bit better. If that's what you bought into, then you bought into a lie. And it says, whoever is saved, whoever it comes into this encounter, whoever becomes a Christian is a brand new person inside. Not the same anymore. A new life has begun. That I'm no longer going my way. I'm going God's way. That I'm no longer doing my plans for my life. I'm doing his plan for who I'm supposed to be. That he has called me into. In fact, the God's word translation says it this way. And I want to look at it in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we'll look at the NIV first in that chapter. It says, when Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you have to give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Now, we don't preach that too often. You won't hear that too often in your church. But it says that if anybody wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You have to give up your own dreams and your own ambition. You have to give up your own, your own purpose and your own life for your thing. You have to give all of that up because he has something different for you. And then he says, and take up their cross and follow me. First thing you and I have to do if we're going to be followers of Jesus is we have to lay down our own life. We have to lay down our own life. That Jesus gave up his life on the cross for that we could live. He gave up his life on the cross that we could die to all of our ambitions and our dreams. We could live the life he gave his life for us to live. And that is the gospel, everybody. I wonder how many of us actually understand what the gospel really is. That he gave his life, that we would now give our lives for him. That we would lay down the life that we are living. I'm no longer going my way. In fact, the God's word translation, it says it this way. It says that anyone... Who wants to come with me must say no to the things that they want. They say no to the things that they want. Put that on a bumper sticker, everybody. Let's live that every day. Every day when I'm taking up my cross, I'm saying no to the things that I want. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy life. That's not saying that you can't love your family. That's not saying that we can't enjoy this incredible country God has called us to live in. This is saying that when the rubber meets the road, I will lay everything down. For the cause of Christ, because there's only one name under heaven on our earth that we bow to. There's only one name over every other name. That's the name of Jesus. And that if there is ever a conflict, if there is ever, ever any competition, I am laying down 
what is in my hand. That I'm giving up all of my dreams and my ambitions, all of my plans for my life because I want what he has for me. Saying that's what he has for me. Laying down my desires because I am a slave by choice. And that he has given his life to rescue mine. That he shed his blood in order to cover over a multitude of sins. That he gave his life on the cross that we could be saved from a death that was waiting for us. And so the only natural response to that is complete and total surrender. Complete and total surrender. I don't get to choose what parts of the Bible I believe in. I don't get to choose my morality. I don't get to choose how I treat my spouse or how I raise my kids. I don't get to choose how I treat my finances. I don't get to choose how I choose my relationships. I don't get to choose all of those things because I'm laying down in complete and total surrender to what God has for me. And when he speaks and has an opinion, I cease to have one. And when he speaks and has an opinion over my life, I cease to have one because I have devoted and surrendered my entire life to him. And he is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. You cannot have it both ways. And so we as a church have to understand what the gospel means. It means surrender. It means sort of complete and total surrender. Jesus said, you got to lay it all down and take up your cross. You take up your cross. And so not only do we have to lay down our life, we have to pick up his. We have to lay down the life that we're living. We have to pick up his life. Jesus said, there's a purpose to your life. And he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him take up his cross. Let him pick up his cross. That there is a purpose for your life as well that God has called you to. But I promise you, it involves taking up your cross. We're going to follow after Jesus. Can you imagine this word choice that Jesus uses? Because honestly, I think the cross has become so part of our our vocabulary that we just don't even recognize when we see it in Scripture. At this moment, when Jesus is saying this, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. And so can you imagine the disciples hearing him say, if you're going to follow me, you have to pick up your cross. And they're thinking in their minds, you know how the Romans are executing people outside the city walls. You know how you see the victims dragging their crosses through the city on their way to be crucified. And Jesus is saying, you know, you know how you've seen the Romans executing those people. I need you to pick up your cross. I need you to pick up the cross that you're going to take. I need you to pick up that cross. He doesn't say, I need you to pick up your backpack. I need you to pick up your handbag. I need you to pick up something that may be a little bit heavy at times. But, you know, we're going to get through this thing. He says, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. And it may not be a physical cross. It may not be made out of wood. But I promise you, it is difficult especially without God's help. That's why you need him every day of your life. It's why we need him if we're going to live this life with him. I promise you, you try to find a Christian who's trying to do it all under their own power. I promise you they're going in the wrong direction. We need his presence and we need his power in our lives. We need him every single day. And I promise you, though, if we pick up our cross, it will lead to your own death. Jesus knew when he picked up that cross that it was going to end in his death. But the Bible says because of the joy set before him, he endured it. Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And every day when I pick up my cross, I am saying I die to the things that I want. I die to the life that I'm trying to live. I die to my purposes and plans for myself because I want to live to the new life that he's created for me. I want to live to the life God has called me to. And every single one of us has to make that decision. Are we going to pick up our cross? Are we going to follow after him with everything that we've got? But I promise you it ends in your death. But if we pick up our cross and we say, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care 
what people do to me. I don't care what they say about me. This isn't about what other people think about me. This is about me following my Savior. If we had that kind of faith, that's the kind of faith that wins the generation. That's an even if he does not kind of faith that says, I don't care what happens and I don't care what people say about me. I'm picking up my cross, knowing what it leads to, but knowing what lies ahead of it. That Jesus has called us to that. doesn't matter what pain I experience. doesn't matter what relationships I lose. doesn't matter what comes my way. doesn't matter what's done to me. It's about me picking up my cross and following after him. Paul said it this way in Acts chapter 20 as we close. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. Complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, this task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You know, the reason you and I are still on planet Earth, the reason we're still drawing breath is that we would testify to the goodness of God. That we would be able to reach a generation that is hurting and broken and addicted and lost in sin. Who knows that that doesn't work? We'd be able to reach them with the answer and the good news of Jesus Christ. The reason you and I are here is that we would reach the lost. That we would sell out for the kingdom of God. We would say it doesn't matter what people do to me. It doesn't matter what people say to me. I'm here because I'm going to reach this generation. I'm going to reach the ones God has called me to do. But listen to me, this kind of revival, this kind of, this kind of spreading of the news of Christ, this kind of thing that happens doesn't happen. And it doesn't come from a passionless, compromised, milquetoast body of Christ. It doesn't happen if we haven't sold out for what God has for us. We haven't picked up our cross. It's going to come because believers say, I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what comes of this following of Christ. I'm going to pick up my cross no matter what. And say, I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care what the cost is. There's nothing you can do to me that's going to shut me up. There's nothing you can say to me that's going to keep me silent because I have had an experience. I have known who my God is and I have experienced his love and his power in my life. I have been forgiven. Of my sins, I have been saved from death to life. The body of Christ that says, I have been saved of my sins, they are paid for at the cross. And now every breath that I have been given is a gift from me from God above that I would use to proclaim the goodness of my God who's called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is the gospel, everybody. And that is what the world needs. Every head bowed, every eye closed today as we pray. Right now, I just want to pray a prayer. That God would both show us the cost of complete surrender and then give us the strength to pick up our cross. Before we do that, though, I want to offer this. Because I know there are those of you who have come today and maybe you're watching online. And maybe you bought into an idea, maybe at one point or another, bought into the idea that Jesus would just make parts of your life a little bit better. That if you just got Jesus then maybe some things would go right and maybe a little bit more would go better, but you'd be allowed to keep your own plans and he would just kind of allow you to go a little bit more on your way, give you a little bit of strength, a little jolt. If that's what you bought into, then you bought into a lie. Because the life of following Jesus is a life of complete and total surrender. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If maybe one, you never made that decision, maybe you've never completely surrendered, or maybe you did at one point, but you've taken back more and more control of your life until you don't even look like a Christ follower anymore. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity right now 
Nobody's looking around. Nobody's judging anyone else. This isn't about what the person on the left or the right thinks about you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I want to give you a moment to surrender. That you say, I put it all on the foot of the cross. I lay it all down. And I surrender completely to him. But here's what I want you to know, and that is when you surrender. And when you give your life to Jesus, I promise you, he makes you brand new. The Bible says he changes you, that you become a new creation. That he gives you new purpose and new life, the life and the plans and the purpose he's called you to live. And so if that's you right now, I would just, I would beg you that right now for yourself, you make this decision. Because maybe you're here and you've played religion for a long time. You know the lingo and you know the steps and you've done all the things, but I would just, I would warn you with everything within me that you wouldn't get to heaven one day and he say, depart, I never knew you. That we wouldn't get there and say, well, I knew the, the stuff and I was there and I, I gave and I, I knew the lingo and I did all the steps. I did all the stuff. I thought just to hear him say, I never knew you. And so right now in this moment, I want to give you a chance to surrender. If that's you. If you say, I bought into a lie and I want to surrender. If you say, I've never had this chance, but I want to do it right now. If you say, I'm far from God, I want you to know he loves you. And he still wants you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care what you've done. God still wants you. But it will take picking up your cross and surrendering to him. Let's pray right now. I want to give you this chance. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. There are other times to go public with your declaration of faith. Right now, you need to decide if you're going to surrender. And this life of faith, it begins with a prayer of surrender. Right now, we're going to pray it with you. Nobody prays alone, but say these words. And church, let's pray it out loud with them. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I surrender. I repent of my sins. Forgive me of all of my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Now God, I pray right now over this church. God, those in the room, those watching online, Lord, let us, God, let us count the cost of picking up our cross and following you. Lord, let us never try to take back control of our own life, but live in total surrender to the one who gave his life for us. God, I pray right now that this will be the best year of our life because we have chosen to experience and to know the power of the resurrection, to know the God who loves us, to go into his presence and into his power, Lord, and to live out this life for all that you have for us. One more time, God, we say we're laying down our ambitions. We're laying down our plans. We're laying down any kind of purpose or plan we had for our lives. And we're saying yes to the life you have called us to live. 
God, we thank you that we can develop our faith so we can stand and say we know our God is able and we know our God is willing. But even if he does not, we're going to pick up our cross and follow him. Lord, that we can come to a place in our lives that we would say it doesn't matter what people do to us in this life. It doesn't matter what people say to us in this world. It doesn't matter what they try to do to shut us up. We say that we stand. We stand on the surety and the strength of our Savior. And one more time, we proclaim the goodness of our God. That you've called us out of darkness. You've called us into light. That you went to the cross to forgive us of our sins, to set us free. That we would also take up our cross and follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and we give you all of the glory and all of the honor. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?